Hello, and welcome to Season 2 of The Plants We Eat, a podcast from the UNC Charlotte Botanical Gardens that investigates the fascinating history, biology, and culture behind the plants we use for food. This is Jeff Gilman and Cindy Proctor. Together, we have over 50 years of research, teaching, and hands-in-the-dirt experience with growing plants. And today, we are going to investigate something... I love this plant. Do you love this plant? I do. Well, it has a lot of uh, memories for me, and I, I'll tell you about that in a minute. Well, fantastic. And of course, we're talking about... Of course. Of course, we're talking about <laughs> rhubarb. What else could we be talking You're about? You're reading my mind. Rhubarb, right. <laughs> talking about rhubarb. Tell, tell me about your memories. Now I'm really curious. Well, first of all, rhubarb is a leafy celery-like vegetable that was reclassified as a fruit in 1947 to avoid tariffs. Did you know that? No, tell me more. <laughs> That's all I know. That's all you know. <laughs> yes, because when you um, when you cook it, it, it has an unusual sweet taste like a, a fruit would, unlike a vegetable, you know, but it is a vegetable. And um, the stems are used since the leaves are— well, let's, go, let's go back. Okay. Okay, so, so what was the lawsuit? I didn't research that, so I shouldn't even brought okay. it up. Is that well, <laughs> no, no. I've got it here. I was lying when I said that I hadn't heard about it. I want you to cover the whole thing. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So okay. uh, go ahead with your little lawsuit. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So. First of all, let's talk about vegetables and fruit first. All right. All right. Fruits have seeds, vegetables don't. Exactly. There you go. Well, for the botanically minded, that's true. But what about for the culinarily um, minded? For the culinarily invited minded, fruits, you add sugar. Sure. Uh, vegetables. Veg- you do not. Or you add salt. Right. Uh, vegetables, salt. For the most part. I mean, you know, there's, well, of there's, course. of course, there, like you think of, course. of of well, pumpkin as a fruit. And so we add sugar to that right. too. Exactly. But the, the thing of it is, is that it's very unusual to add uh, or expect a sweetness from a vegetable such as a, a stocky looking thing like celery, you know, right. type of looking vegetable, right. quote unquote. But botanically speaking, the difference between a fruit and a vegetable is that a fruit has seeds, a vegetable does not. So for the government to reclassify well, they, it. Well, they did it for a reason. Yes, okay. to avoid tariffs. Right. But go ahead. So businesses pay less tax. They were paying less tax on poured rhubarb because the tax for vegetables was higher than that for fruit. And the way that they justified this, or I shouldn't say the way that they, the way that the, um, the purchasers justified this, they justified it specifically with strawberry rhubarb pie. Mm-hmm. And they said with strawberry rhubarb pie, you're obviously adding sugar. Therefore, culinarily speaking, and that of course was what everybody was concerned with since we're eating this, culinarily speaking, we've got to consider rhubarb a fruit and therefore lower tariffs. Okay. I'm glad you um, clarified that some more. Okay, I probably didn't have to. But. Anywho, <laughs> no, but but when you buy rhubarb from the store, it most likely won't have the leaves on them. You know, they've right. been removed because they're highly toxic. Mm. Is what is mm. what I read. No, you don't think so? Mm. Oh. <laughs> All right. Uh, so this is actually well, you know, me and poisons. Okay. So I spent forever on this. <laughs> they are definitely toxic, but the level of toxicity is going to be variable, um, rhubarb to rhubarb. And also, there are actually a number of other leafy vegetables that have either almost as much, potentially a little bit more. Uh, the toxin is oxalic acid. Mm-hmm. So, yes, the leaf, and we're talking about the leaf blades. They mm-hmm. are somewhat toxic, but don't think that you can sneak a, a leaf of a rhubarb into, I don't know, uh, my salad and try to kill me, which you may, the way you're looking at me now. <laughs> uh, 
But you know, that's a good point because we can over scare each other with some yeah. of these recommendations or rules or warnings. Yes. You know, and so yeah, I'm glad you clarified that. So it's it's yes, it's toxic, but please don't think that this is like super toxic thing. Um and, and the other thing is, you know, we're actually eating the leaf. When we're eating rhubarb, we're still eating the leaf. We're just not eating the leaf blade. So a leaf is composed of a leaf blade. That's kind of the leafy thing. Mm -hmm. And there's a place, there's a part of the, the stem or a part of the leaf that connects it to the stem. And that's called the petiole. So our You're eating the pe petiole. You're eating the petiole. Which exactly. is like celery. Yes. If I haven't said before. Yes, you do. <laughs> but that's did. okay. Well, I want to give the, the listeners a visual of rhubarb because it's not a common vegetable. It's not. Uh, you, you see it for sale, you know, at most grocery stores, but it's not every week. You know, it, it does have a spring and fall presence at the grocery stores. Mm -hmm. So, But um, it is rich in antioxidants, which mm -hmm. most things are that have a red color and the yes. petiole in this case, is very red. Of course, cultivars have come out to have different uh, yellows and oranges as well. Great in fiber, understandably, but also is good in calcium and vitamin C. Mm -hmm. Now, it is used in soups and jams and chutney. Do you know what a chutney is? I do know what a chutney okay, is. Okay, which is sweet and savory relish, right. okay, which is very good and used as almost a little bit of a, a, a side dish in dinners to maybe add to your bites of other things on your plate. Now, um, we've already talked about rhubarb pie, which that's my memory. That's the only way that I've ever eaten okay, rhubarb Okay, well, personally. same here. And rhubarb pie was something my grandmother grew, or rhubarb grew, behind the detached garage mm -hmm. in Kansas City. And that was her only thing back there behind uh, the detached garage is these row of rhubarb. And she would harvest that each spring and make rhubarb pie. And I just thought that was the weirdest thing is to use leafy plants to make pie. But and she, was, did, she didn't it, use strawberries. Though. But it was delicious, it, wasn't it? Well, I didn't, I didn't kind of eat it because oh, really? I was so weird. It was weird. See, I, I didn't have rhubarb pie till later in life, probably my right. 20s. And I couldn't have strawberry rhubarb pie because I was allergic or am allergic to strawberries. Right. So I had to have rhubarb. And then one day somebody served it to me and I tasted it and it actually tasted to me a little bit like strawberry smell. And I was like, wait a minute. Right. Is, are there strawberries? And they're right. like, no, no, this is just rhubarb pie. Right. And it's very fibrous. Yes. You know, the pie is. I do remember seeing that. Now, it's really easy to make because you think about, you know, when you make a cobbler, you kind of know how to cook the peaches and the blueberries and stuff. But how do you cook a vegetable to be into a sweet pie? <laughs> just add a lot of sugar. sugar. Yeah, right? We just add a lot of sugar. But basically, you are heaping this rhubarb in the same mixture of dough and butter and, and sugar like you do any other fruit. Yeah. And then you have your pie. I was very simplistic about that. Yeah. But look up rhubarb pie recipes, and it's you'll see how simple it is. Do you know there's rhubarb ice cream? I did not know that. So you reduce the rhubarb with sugar, of course, right. and then you go on with making your ice cream. So I was, I was, I'm kind of excited. I might try that just for fun, but planting rhubarb is really easy and start with the crowns. Don't well, start with it's, seed. It's perennial, right? Yeah, it is a perennial. Well, that's the amazing thing. It is me. amazing because not many vegetables, you are know, perennials. Are, that's right. right. So this is a, and you harvest them in the spring mm -hmm. or early summer, depending on where you live. It doesn't like the heat. 
Uh, of course. No, what does? I don't know if there's anything that likes the – we're always adjusting here. No, is it? but this is considered a cool season crop. It is considered a cool season crop. And don't totally take all the leaves off. Just leave at least two so um, it can uh, re-energize for the next year, and then it'll it'll shoot up you know, new leaves for you the, the every year, it says for like 30 years. Yeah, I've, I've, I've seen it. They said that a typical lifetime is going to be 10 to 15, mm-hmm. but that it could go much longer, um, just depending on the variety, the type of soil you have, et cetera. Now, it could take um, about two years to get a harvest from your little crown right. that you buy from um, the garden center and cut off the flowers. So it doesn't detract or to take away from your petioles. It's a it's an interesting crop to grow. And and one thing I don't know if you read about this. Um, and it took some some searching, but there's actually something called and uh, gonna try and get this right when I say it because you guys say it just right. You can also try dark forcing. <laughs> Wanted to try and say it that way. Dark I wasn't forcing. expecting that. <laughs> you can try dark forcing. You Rayson, does that sound terrible? <laughs> Rayson is our sound technician today, and she's going to tell me whether that sounded terrible. She's going to take that out. She'll probably take that out. <laughs> Leave that in. That was that was good. <laughs> dark force. <laughs> um, so you can actually dark force your uh, your rhubarb, and what is dark forcing? It's actually something that was done late 1800s, early uh, 1900s, and it's become uh, less popular today. But what it was basically is that you, you grew your rhubarb outside and then you brought it into the greenhouse and you, all right, botanical word coming up, you etiolated it. Etiolated means that you grew it in essentially complete darkness. And there are certain plants, such as cauliflower, which when you grow them in complete darkness, they don't develop their normal coloring and they tend to be softer and more tender than they'd be if you grew them in the sun. Mm-hmm. So rhubarb is somewhat stringy and somewhat tough. But if you grow it in the dark like this, if you do this dark forcing, it'll be a little deeper in flavor. It'll have less stringiness to it, and it'll just be a different experience. And where they actually used to do this. So rhubarb is grown all over the world. In the United States, concentrations are in Oregon and Washington. But this was very big in the UK, in the United Kingdom. And they had a place known as the Rhubarb Triangle. (laughs) And in the Rhubarb Triangle, they would do a lot of this uh, rhubarb dark forcing. (laughs) And uh, in in, uh, Canada, they actually had a few places where they do dark forcing too. And I'm going to use the phrase dark forcing uh, probably at least five more times before the end of this podcast because... (gasps) Give me strength. (laughs) Dark forcing. There's actually about 60 species of rhubarb. We don't eat most of them. The two most common that we deal with are going to be garden rhubarb and false rhubarb. Mm -hmm. They come from Central Asia up through Siberia. So both of these kind of come from that Asia area. Certainly we have uh, some over into Europe, but the one we eat today, this crop, is actually a cross between uh, garden rhubarb and false rhubarb. And it's actually, here comes another botanical term, actually known as a tetraploid. Now, tetraploids are very, very interesting. Let me explain what a tetraploid is. So, you guys know that when you have the sperm meeting the egg, the sperm is going to have half of the genes of the father, and the egg is going to have half the genes of the mother. They come together, and you get full complement of genes. You get kids that say dark forcing. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Well, if you have a sperm that has twice its normal number, it it doesn't go through the normal... Um, Mm -hmm. chromosomal split. So it has a normal number of genes for any other cell in the body. And it meets an egg with, again, normal number of genes. These two meet, 
then you have what's known as a tetraploid. We can do this artificially in the lab. And it's to our advantage in plants. It is to our advantage in plants because you can actually tell a tetraploid from a regular diploid, and most things are just regular diploid. Mm -hmm. Again, tetraploid means twice as many chromosomes because the, the sperm and the egg didn't split properly. In plants, when you get these tetraploids, they tend to have larger flowers, larger leaves. Everything about them tends to be bigger. Daylilies are one yes. that we use that, that uh, science with a good bit. Right. Yeah. So we can do it artificially, although it happens naturally mm-hmm. sometimes as well. And it appears that this, well, we know that this happened naturally in nature. We didn't cause this to happen, but theoretically we could. Mm-hmm. It probably wouldn't even be that difficult. So rhubarb, you know, originally it was not eaten. In fact, for a long, long time we grew it without eating it. It was known as, uh, as primarily as a laxative. Now, naturally, because it's a plant, and we've found that all plants are this way, um, because it's a plant, of course, it's said to be an aphrodisiac. But one of the most interesting cases that I came up with was a case in China from 1620. And it turns out that the Guangzong emperor, and I know I'm pronouncing that wrong, and I apologize, but the Guangzong emperor is reputed to have been miraculously cured from some severe illness he got after having had a joyful time with four beautiful women sent to him by a high official. Rhubarb cured him uh, naturally. We have no idea what the disease was, but this, of course, led me to search for, you know, whether rhubarb can cure STDs. And it turns out that, in fact, it can. In fact, there's a paper published that's frequently cited, but it's really the only paper out there, and this paper is called Combined Herbal Preparations for Topical Treatment of Herpes Labialis. And it turns out, in this paper, what they, what they did was they took a combination of sage and rhubarb and created an ointment which actually was quite successful in curing herpes. There you go. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no wonder you didn't want to talk about how to grow it. <laughs> uh, you know... You can't make this stuff up. (laughs) Anyway. I'm starting to see a pattern with you. (laughs) You follow the rabbit hole wherever it goes. That's right. You follow the rabbit hole wherever it goes. (laughs) So, again, rhubarb didn't really become popular for eating until the late 1700s and early 1800s. And it kind of became popular right along with uh, the time that a lot of sugar, particularly from sugar cane, became available, which kind of makes sense Mm because rhubarb really is best. Um, in most people's minds, when it is uh, mixed with sugar. Anything is. Well, <laughs> that's... You know, I think it's because uh, when, you, when you cook rhubarb, it still has that good texture for pies, and it has a great taste. Yeah. So I it, think it, that it... it it's, it, it's true. Um, the other use that, that you have for rhubarb, which wasn't necessarily common, but which you did find, and this is... Represented a patent from uh, 1839 by William D. Groff. Uh, he actually uh, patented the manufacture of the leaves of the sunflower and rhubarb plants as a substitute for smoking tobacco and for the formation mm. of cigars. And he described how you could take rhubarb and how you could take uh, sunflower leaves and roll them into cigars. Interesting. Yeah, I thought that was a really neat one. Right. Um, although I have not tried it yet. Yet. <laughs> you know me. Yeah. Um, you know, rhubarb, on a side note, if you're not interested in using it for any of the things Jeff talked about, 
<laughs> Please don't. <Okay. laughs> Please don't. Or if you're not interested in making a pie with it, it is a beautiful plant because of it the is. red petioles or celery stalks, however you want yeah, to look at yeah. this. And um, it's really beautiful, uh, striking against that green, mm-hmm. uh, although it doesn't last for the summer for us. Right. It's still something worth um, having, especially being a perennial. Yeah. Really fascinating plant. I had a, uh, as you can probably tell, I had a tremendous amount of fun <laughs> doing the research on this one. You know what happened? Uh, you know what happened? We had, we had our plant sale this uh, this past week, and um, I had a guy who had listened to our podcast. He came up to me and introduced himself. We talked about a few different foods, a few different plants, mm-hmm. and um, I said, you know, I'd love to I'd love to do one for you. Um, what what plant would you like us to do? He said, I'd like you to do pawpaw. So next week, uh, Emmett Stewart has asked that we do pawpaw, and I can't wait to do it. I mean, if, too. It's, it's a great tree, not used. It's kind of weedy. It it, it it is kind of weedy. We actually have a pawpaw patch uh-huh. out in the um, out in the gardens, which I really love. In fact, it's flowering right now. It looks great. I hope um, our listeners visit your uh, UNCC Botanical website. Me too. They should, it's they a should nice website. Gardens.uncc.edu. And hey, if we ever uh, don't cover a plant that you really want us to cover, please let us know. Give me a give me an email. Send me an email at uh, J Gilman. That's J G I L L M A N at uncc.edu. I would love to hear from you. We'd also love to hear from you if you have any comments. If you think we got something wrong, we'd love to know about it. Or if you're familiar with these, if you have a great story about rhubarb, um, we would love to hear about it as long as it's not about treating any well, diseases. Hey, thank you all so much for listening. Always great talking with you. We look forward to talking with you next week about pawpaws. This has been a production of the UNC Charlotte Botanical Gardens, along with the UNC Charlotte College of Liberal Arts and Sciences and the Isle Group. Talk to you next week.